You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. together. God, you are holy. Your Son is holy. We're gathered here, united by your Holy Spirit, about to open your Word. And God, I pray that as your Word says, be holy for I am holy, God, that that as we uh, open your Word right now, that you would speak to us and sanctify us, Lord. Show us things in our lives that need to change, and by your Spirit, would you transform us? Would you show us things that we need to learn, God, and that you, by your Spirit, would teach us, and that and that you would show us things that we need to believe and that we need to trust in God and that your, your spirit would enable us uh, to do all of those things, Lord. God, I pray that you would become very, very big in our eyes, that your, your word and your voice would be heard, God, as I become small and my voice fades into the background. We pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, go ahead and uh, take your seats and open your Bible up to Psalm 35. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now with uh, extra Bibles. If you came here without a Bible, things are going to make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along. So just uh, put your hand up nice and high for them or holler at them. We want to make sure everyone has a chance uh, to uh, read Psalm 35 today. There's 150 different Psalms, and uh, I made a commitment a number of years ago to spend the summer going uh, in numerical order through the book of Psalms. And so we're at number 35 out of 150. And one of the challenges and opportunities that comes from doing something like this is that you speak on Psalms that you would never normally speak on. And, and if I were to sort of take a poll of favorite Psalms among people in this gym right now. Some people would say, oh, you know, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, or, or Psalm 16, uh, in his presence there's pleasure forevermore. And people would have different Psalms that really resonate with them, that have meant a lot to them at different times. I bet that there's no one here whose favorite Psalm is Psalm 35. Uh, psalm 35 is kind of a Psalm that makes us feel a little bit awkward. A little bit, did, did, he just, did he just say that? Is that, is that in the Bible? Is, is this the inspired word of God? We, we really don't have categories uh, in our contemporary Christian church for psalms like Psalm 35. Uh, the academic term for a psalm like, psalm like Psalm 35 is uh, imprecatory. An imprecatory ta- psalm is when someone is praying that God would pour out vengeance on his enemies. It's, it's, it's almost like calling down a curse on another person. And some of the language that we're going to read here about having people feel shame or feel dishonor, having them fall into pits, having them go through destruction, might, some of us, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because we don't think those words belong in the Bible. We don't think those words belong in our mouths. But the truth is, there's probably times where we've said things like this about other people. And what Psalm 35 does is it tells us what are we supposed to do with those feelings? What are we supposed to do with those emotions that well up inside of us when we know that someone is intentionally trying to harm us? How should we respond? You see, normally... 
when that happens to me is I, I use similar words, but I say them at the person or I say it about the person. And what Psalm 35 tells us is it's not the words that are wrong, but it's who you're speaking to. You see, saying things like that to your enemies won't change your enemies. Saying things like that to your friends behind your enemy's back, that's not going to solve anything. But when you take those words, when you take those raw, angry emotions, and when you tell them to God, that's when change happens. Not only in your heart, but in your circumstances and your situation. So we're not supposed to vent our anger at our enemies or our friends. We're not even supposed to suppress our anger and pretend like it's not there. No, Psalm 35 tells us what we are to do when we're just overwhelmed with a sense of injustice that we have been wronged. And so we're going to see this psalm is divided into uh, three parts. And uh, the first part uh, is asking God to do something. It's a prayer uh, to God. Here's the first thing we must pray about. We must pray that God would fight for us in the midst of conflict. We must pray that God would fight for us in the midst of of conflict. Take a look at verse 1. It says, of David, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. You see, oftentimes, rather than asking God to fight for us, we ask him to fight with us. We want to lead the charge. We want to be the captain of the army. We're glad to have God as an ally. We want him to fight with us. Come on, God, I'm going to go after my enemies. But it's not fight with me, God. It's not contend with me, which is actually a, a term for legal accusation and defense. So there's battlefield imagery and courtroom imagery in this psalm. It's not come fight with me, God. It's go fight for me. God, I can't do this on my own. In fact, I can't do this at all. Because, because my anger, as James 1 says, cannot bring about the righteousness of God. If I were to express my anger to this person and this situation, I would end up sinning. So I am going to ask God to fight for me. This goes on. In verse 2, take hold of shield and buckler. A buckler is just a, a different kind of a shield. He's looking for protection. Shield me, God, and rise for my help. Verse 3, draw the spear and javelin. Don't just protect me, God. Go on offense. Throw that spear. Throw that javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. What, what the psalmist wants so desperately at the, at the core of who he is, at his very soul, he wants to see God with all of this armor and all of these weapons to speak to his very soul and say, I am your salvation. And he wants to hear that at the very core of his being. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you're being attacked or like anyone's um, intentionally hating you or trying to destroy you, but... For you, there's something in your soul that isn't right. And every single person on planet Earth is longing to have something spoken to their soul. And it's those words right there in Psalm 35, verse 3. Our soul, whether you know it or not, there is something in your soul that is longing to hear 
someone say, I am your salvation. Some of us want, our, our soul is listening and our soul's hoping that a friend or a family member would say that. Some people are thinking that if I could just get that job or if I could just have a little bit more money or if I could get some more people to like me, if I could just change something about myself, that will be my salvation. None of those things can say Psalm 35 verse 3. Only God can say that. You see, because there is, a, there is a deeper level of salvation that all of us need. The reason why all of our souls are troubled, the reason why we want to hear that is because all of us are sinners. And we all need forgiveness. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. Jesus, who put down his javelin and his shield and who surrendered, who fought by allowing himself to be defeated, dying on the cross so that he could say to our soul, I am your salvation. If you haven't made that decision yet, today is the day to believe that Jesus died for you and to confess your sin. Psalm, 34, or Psalm 35 verse 4 then, this is what he wants God to do. He says, now let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Verse 5, let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. A chaff of being driven away by the wind. This is how when farmers harvested, there was the, the useful part of the wheat that was heavier and then the useless part was lighter and they would go up on a hill and with a pitchfork, they would throw it up into the air and the chaff would just blow away and the wheat would remain down on the ground. This is what he wants to happen to his enemies. This is something, again, we only say to God. You don't go say, oh, I'm going to blow you away like chaff. We don't say that to our enemies. But if you're feeling that, do not suppress that. Say it to God, just like the psalmist here in Psalm 35. Verse 6, let their way be dark and slippery. He wants them to fall flat on their face. Again, he doesn't say that to them. He says it to God. With the angel of the Lord pursuing them. The angel of the Lord appears in verse 5 and verse 6. There's only one other time where that phrase, the angel of the Lord, appears in the Psalms. It's in Psalm 34, which we studied last week. Psalm 34 talks about the angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear, who fear him. And so Psalm 34 is like the defense of the angel of the Lord, that he's surrounding and protecting. But Psalm 35 is now saying, okay, someone is actually trying to penetrate that perimeter. And so what happens? What happens if someone tries to attack someone who fears the Lord? Well, the psalmist is saying the angel of the Lord is going to go and pursue. He, he wants God to pursue his enemies. He's not going to pursue them, but he's asking that God would do it. And then he says in verse 7, he explains why. He says, for without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. We're getting a bit of a picture of what's happening to David here. He says twice, without cause, without cause. Now there's lots of times, you read the Psalms, lots of times where David got into trouble and he deserved it and he knew it. But there's other times where David is just firm in his innocence, where he declares his own righteousness. That's not saying that he's righteous or innocent in every single situation. He's saying that in this particular circumstance, I am innocent. They are treating me without cause. They're treating me with this evil 
intent. And he's asking God to rescue him and to fight for him. Notice also that not only are they fighting him without cause, as they're not, they don't have the courage or the dignity to try to fight David face to face. They aren't saying, hey, we have a problem with you and we're going to sort this out right now. Man to man. No, they're digging pits and they're laying out nets. No one says, hey, come on over here. I'm digging a pit for you and I'd like you to be in it. Oh, can you just put out your arm for a second? I want to clothe you in this net so I can try. No one does that. It's, it's sneaky. It's deceptive. And that is what is bothering David. Is David is accustomed. Let's go toe-to-toe, man. Goliath, okay, let's go. Let's do this. David didn't, David didn't hit Goliath with a rock in the back of the head. He hit him straight on. This is on. This is happening. But now, David, it's, it's like guerrilla warfare. Now, David sees that these people are laying out these traps. He has no idea where it's coming from. And so he's asking God to step in. Verse 8, let destruction come upon them, come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him and let him fall into it to his destruction. He's, he's looking for a little bit of poetic justice here. He's looking for the guys who are laying out the net to get trapped in their own net to fall in their own pit. And then in verse 9 it says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord exulting in his salvation. So he, he said in verse 3, God, I want you to say something to my soul. Now in verse 9, he's saying, and my soul is going to say something back to you. My soul will praise the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Now, the, the reason why this psalm breaks into three categories is because the psalm follows a structure where there are there are uh, three, three parts where the psalmist is complaining, where he's crying out to God, where he's praying, where he's talking about his enemies and how hard it is. And then at the end of each section, there is this little peek into the future. Notice how verse 9 is written in the, the future tense. It says, then my soul will rejoice. He says, right now, all I can do is pray. I'm not praising right now. I'm just praying. But I know that God is going to answer me. And there will be a time where I'm going to be able to rejoice. Verse 10, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and needy from him who robs him. So he's saying, my soul, my bones, the very core of who I am is going to worship God. I know he's going to answer me. Notice also the humility of David. It says, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. You see, one of, the, one of the problems in my life and one of the problems in many of our lives is we're just too afraid to admit that we're weak. We're too afraid to say, I can't do this. But so much power flows into our life when we acknowledge, like David said, that he's defending the poor from him who is too strong for him. God, I can't do this on my own. And so he calls out to God and he's anticipating that God will answer him. So we must pray that God would fight for us in the midst of conflict. We don't do the fighting, we do the praying. Our job is faith. God's job is fighting. And then uh, secondly here, rescue us in the midst of evil. We must ask God, we must pray to God to rescue us in the midst 
of evil. Verse 11 is where we get a little bit of a, a clearer picture of when this psalm was written. Some psalms give a little title at the beginning, like Psalm 34 last week told us the circumstances under which David wrote this. We don't have that advantage here in Psalm 35, but there's a big clue in verse 11. It says, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. So David is experiencing people who are witnesses. They're saying, they're talking about things that David doesn't know anything about. They're saying that David has done things. They're saying that David has said things that David's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And they are malicious witnesses. They are trying to harm him. This is probably, this is probably describing Saul's advisors when Saul was trying to kill David. You see, Saul was jealous of David, but chances are Saul wasn't the only person that felt threatened by David. Saul wasn't the only person that was jealous about how successful David had been in his military exploits. And so these other advisors were taking advantage of Saul's paranoia and lying about things, fueling Saul's fear, fueling his hatred, enabling him to, to go after David. This is why David had a chance to kill Saul. This is what David said when he was restrained his, his anger and his sense of justice, knowing that God would fight for him. This is what David said. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? These are the malicious witnesses in verse 11. And this is, this is the kind of thing that David went through in his life. People spreading rumors about him that just aren't true. Then in verse 12 it says, They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. David had done good to Saul. David had done good to these other military leaders who were now trying to turn around and do evil towards him. Similarly, when Saul's son Jonathan was trying to defend David, this is, what, this is what he said in 1 Samuel 19. The, the, the next slide, 1 Samuel 19 here. So Jonathan is saying, let not the king say against his, let, let, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. It's not just that David was neutral, it's that David had actually done good. The, doing evil well, could, couldn't be further from the truth. That's why David said, they tell me about things I don't know. They're saying I've done all this horrible thing. They're saying that I was planning to overthrow Saul. That's not true. That's what David was going through. And rather than trying to prove himself, rather than trying to attack the malicious witnesses, he's asking God to fight for him. And he's asking God uh, to rescue him. They repay me evil for good. Then he explains a little bit more. Verse 13. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. So again, David was not neutral. He wasn't just ambivalent. He didn't, he didn't just sort of, oh, whatever happens, happens. No, he fasted and prayed. He went and visited them in the hospital. He sent them flowers. He wrote them cards. He asked his friends to pray. He posted something on Facebook. He was doing everything he could to try to help them in their time of need. Now David is in his time of need. And these people that he showed so much kindness to, look at how they 
repay. Verse 15. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. So these, this one group of people that did know him, that he was kind, they turned on him. Then they invite all of these other complete strangers to continue attack him, to attack him. Verse 16, like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. So David in verse 17 says, how long, O Lord, will you look on? And David is committed. He has done good. They responded with evil. But David is committed. I am not going to return their evil with more evil. And Psalm 35 here tells us this is, this is how we live out Romans chapter 12. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. It's great to hear the pages turning in the gym this morning. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. Romans 12 verse 14. The book of Romans, the first half of the book of Romans marvels at the fact that although we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's what Romans 5 says. Then Romans 12 gets into, how then should we live our lives? Let's get practical. If we were God's enemies and God sent his son to die for us, how are we supposed to treat our enemies? Romans 12 verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. That's right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught that. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's important. Don't think that you know what to do. Always lean on the Lord in his wisdom. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. David had done good to these people. They did evil. The way the world tells us is that because, hey, you tried to be nice and they're not being nice, so that gives you license now to do evil towards them. The Bible does not allow us to do that. It gives no permission. We are not to repay evil for evil. A parent tries to do something kind or nice to a child and then the child responds with sass and ingratitude, that does not give the parent to respond with harsh words. Am I the only one that has ever experienced that as a parent? Am I the only one that's wise in my own eyes that thinks, I am trying to help you tie your shoes, and you just kicked me in the shin. And so I should repay you You did evil. I'm trying to do something kind to you. Listen, if it happens on the parental level, listen, it happens on the spousal level, it happens on the friendship level, it happens on the 410, you cut me off. Guess what I'm going to do? Wise in our own eyes. It is never wise to whether, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you did nothing to them or did something good to them. It is never wise when someone does evil to us, to respond with evil. God loves us too much to let us fall into that trap. Continue on with Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, 
I'm sorry, I'm in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't control what the other person is going to come at you with. But you can control what you do. And if possible, live peaceably with them. Then it goes on, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It says, never avenge yourselves. Never. Never. The Greek word for never means never. There isn't some emergency. Here's a little hammer. Break class. there's, There's no reason ever where it is wise for us to avenge ourselves. Easier said than done, isn't it? Easier said than done. It is so hard. God wired us to love justice. And when we've been treated in an unjust way, everything wells up inside of us. It comes from a good desire, but sin taints it and twists it and leads to unrighteous anger. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. If you do good and they respond with evil, just keep doing good. Just keep doing good. Just keep doing good. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is one of the lies that the enemy tries to tell us. When someone comes at us with evil, the enemy tries to tell us, there's there's no other option here. You're going to be overcome. This person's going to take advantage of you. They're going to destroy you, your reputation, your self-esteem, everything you have. They're going to ruin you. You are going to be overcome with evil. You need to repay them with evil. That's what the enemy will whisper in your ear every single time. Your only hope in not being overcome with evil is to fight back with evil. That is not true. It says do not be overcome by evil. If you respond to evil with evil, you're even more overcome with evil. Because now you're not only having someone attack you from the outside with evil, but now you're allowing the residual sin inside of you, the evil that still lurks in your flesh. Now you're fighting it on two fronts. The only way to overcome evil is to overcome it with good. Again, easier said than done. What do you do when someone comes after you? What do you do when someone disrespects you or attacks you or gossips about you? You want so badly to respond. All of this anger is welling up inside of you. What do you do? You do Psalm 35. And rather than lashing out at them... All of that anger, all of that emotion goes up to God. I'm talking, if you need to take a time out yourself, put yourself on a time out. And go into a room or get into your car and put on a Bluetooth so you don't look crazy and start screaming. And pour out your, cry out to God. Get out a pad of paper, get out a journal and give your anger to the Lord. This is what Psalm 35 is telling us to do. Never take vengeance into your own hands. That seems like an impossible task. But Psalm 35 gives us a script. It tells us what to do. It shows us how, we, how do you live out? How do you do good to someone who does evil? 
there's an, there's an in-between step. You need to deal with the evil desires that are welling up inside of you, and you deal with it by calling on the justice of God, pouring out your heart, and asking that God would show, would show everyone, including the person attacking you, that they're in the wrong and not you. This is something that I need to do. This is something that all of us need to practice. Whether you struggle with huge outbursts of anger or you have a slow smoldering anger, depending on your personality, all of us need to use Psalm 35 as a resource to help us obey the impossible command of Romans 12. So we must ask that God would rescue us in the midst of evil, the evil that's coming at us and the evil that we know that dwells inside. And then here's another future-oriented promise of praise. Verse 17, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Verse 18, I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Again, it's not in the midst. Some Psalms, they, like Psalm 34, I will bless you at all times. Psalm 35 isn't saying, I'm praising you right now, God. Psalm 35 is saying, no, I'm praying to you to save me, and I will worship you in the future. This is how stressed, this is how angry, this is how upset David is when he's writing this. He's not in a place of worship right now, but he knows that he will be. But why? Why is David so confident that this is going to sort itself out? How does he know that that future day is coming? I mean, he could get, he, there could be a knife in his back at any minute. These malicious witnesses are laying out nets. They're digging pits. How does he know he's going to sort this out? Well, you've got to remember what happened in David's life. The prophet Samuel came over to his house and held interviews with all of his brothers. And none of them got the job. David wasn't even invited. They went out to the field and got David. And God told Samuel, this is the one. This is going to be the king. And David got onto his knees before Samuel the prophet. And Samuel took out the anointing oil and poured it all over David's head. And he felt it drip down. And he heard Samuel's word saying, you are chosen by God to be the king of Israel. And David never forgot that. David knew his calling and his purpose And he knew that he would one day be king. Why? He believed God. God had made him a promise and he was clinging to that promise. He knew, hey man, this is really hard living in caves, running away from Saul. But I know that I'm going to be king one day. And I'm not going to become king by attacking Saul. I'm going to become king because God chose me. And when I become king, it's going to be clear to everyone that God did it and not me. If you become king by chopping off another king's head, what are you inviting someone else to do? Cut off your head. And so David very wisely said, no, this is going to happen God's way. And when we feel so angry, we need to give that to God. And understand that even if that other person is totally in the wrong, I am going to do good to them so that it will be crystal clear to everyone that God did this. 
And just like David had a promise from God, we too have a promise from God. We haven't been anointed with oil, but we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. We haven't been chosen to be king, but we are part of a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And we know where we're going. We know how this ends. And when we go through difficulties, we can cling to the promises of God and know that he is with us and won't leave us or forsake us. That's what got David through. That's why he had these confident expectations of that he was going to worship God. We can have that kind of confidence as well. So, we must pray to God that he would fight for us in the midst of conflict, that he would rescue us in the midst of evil, and then thirdly, that he would vindicate us in the midst of hatred. That he would vindicate us in the midst of hatred. Now, as I've been studying Psalm 35, I sort of picture it like a road on the map of the Christian life. And uh, sometimes you, you come up on a road and they tell you what goes ahead. So this is uh, Route 35. Uh, so up ahead, and there's no exits, uh, but you have to go through this. Up on Route 35, when you get on that route, it's lies, it's evil for good, and it's hate without cause. That's what... Psalm 35, some of you feel like you are walking on that road right now. You need to know you're in good company. You need to know that you are walking on the road that David walked on. And all throughout the Bible we see that God allows his people to go through similar circumstances. And so you are simply going through what David has going through. Maybe it's happening in your family. Maybe it's happening at work. But you need to understand that you are walking where David has walked before. Furthermore, you are walking where Jesus has walked before. Lies were told about Jesus. People did evil for good towards Jesus. People hated Jesus without cause. So much so, look with me at chapter 35, verse 19. It says, Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause. Jesus in John 15, when he was telling his disciples about what was going to happen to him, he quoted Psalm 35. Jesus said, I'm sorry, the next slide here. Jesus said in John 15, verse 25, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus said, I'm going to go down a road right now. I'm going down Route 35. Lies are going to be told about me. People are going to repay me evil for good. And they're going to hate me without cause. And Jesus not only said, that's what's going to happen to me, I'm going to walk down this road. Jesus said, all of us are going to walk down that road as well. The broader context of John 15, let's open it up here. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Psalm 35 was fulfilled in Jesus' life. Psalm 35 has been fulfilled in church history. Psalm 35 may be fulfilled in your life this week. People hating you without cause. Verse 21 says, They open wide their mouths against me and say, aha, aha, 
our eyes have seen it. This is those false malicious witnesses again. The same thing that Jesus went through in Matthew 26, verse 59 to 60. Malicious witnesses. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. There were many people, like Psalm 35, 21 says, saying, Aha, aha, my eyes have seen it. And they made up some story about what Jesus did. But the psalmist in verse 22 trusts, he's not trusting in what the false witnesses say they saw. He knows that God saw everything. Verse 22, you have seen, O Lord, be not silent. These false witnesses have a lot to say. God, what are you going to say in my defense? O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. He's, he mentions vindication twice, verse 30, 20, 23 and 24. Prove that I'm right, God. Prove that I'm right. I'm only going to do good to them. I'm not going to attack them, but God, would you prove that I am right? Verse 25, let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say we've swallowed him up. Don't let them win, God. Verse 20. 26, let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. David was looking forward to that day. He didn't know how it was all going to play out, but David knew that one day he was going to be on that throne. And he knew that God was going to get the credit, that God delighted in the welfare of his servant. And you need to understand whatever you're going through, to trust and believe that God is for you and with you, and do it his way so that he gets the credit, so that at the end of the day, when you find yourself vindicated, you will not be thanking yourself or your wisdom, you will be thanking God because he did it. Verse 28, then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. A final anticipation of praise. We know how it's going to end. God has promised some things to us, just as he promised them things to David. And we, following in David's footsteps and following in Jesus' footsteps, the book of Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he knew what was coming to him. He endured the shame. He went through Psalm 35, the false witnesses, the hatred, the evil for good, because he knew that he was headed for glory. We can follow in Christ's steps, knowing that God will vindicate us, that he will rescue us, and that he will fight for us. God, give us faith to believe this. It's easier said than done. But Psalm 35 gives us a tool. It gives us a resource. It gives us freedom to take that frustration that we feel when we're, when we're being wrong, the injustice, and to give it to God and to place it into his hands rather than trying to fight with ours. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God, you know the different situations that people are facing right now. And Lord God, your son commanded us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And some of us have enemies at our work. Some of us have enemies in our family. Some of us are well acquainted with the enemy that lives uh, within us. 
our own flesh and we have an ultimate enemy, Satan, who's trying to destroy us and dig pits and trap us in nets. And God, I pray that you would say to our soul that you are our salvation and that we would praise you and worship you and that we would do things your way and trust in your timing and in your strength and your power. And so God, we pray that you would do this, God. We love you, we thank you. Fill us with faith, I pray, especially for those right now who are under specific attack, who are on this road right now, God. I pray that they would know that they are loved by this church family. I pray that they would know that they are supported by us and supported by you. Would you fight for them? Would you vindicate them and rescue them, I pray? And strength and peace and patience and endurance. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Let's sing in faith right now. Those of us who are going through these struggles, let's sing. Let's believe for brothers and sisters who are struggling. Let's pray and praise God that he will come through for us as we trust in his promises. Let's do that now. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.